0: The Shabbos before Pesach is called Shabbos HaGadol. Actually, it's a whole sermon in Shabbos that this week's Shabbos before Pesach is called Shabbos HaGadol. Whether the Shabbos is just mentioning the fact or instructing us that we meant to call it Shabbos HaGadol is debated, but we need to understand why this Shabbos is given this special title. Why the of the week before Pesach has a name, Shabbos HaGadol. We find two reasons brought down in the Mephoshim. The better known reason is because historically, in the year that they came out of Mitzrayim, Pesach fell on a Thursday, and therefore the 10th of Nisan was on Shabbos. The 10th of Nisan was the day that they were instructed to take the sheep, Because they had to bring it as a Korban on the 14th day of Nisan, the Korban Pesach was brought on Erev Pesach. And the halacha was that it needed to be examined for four days beforehand to make sure it was perfect without blemish, There were no mumim. And therefore the day that they were instructed to take the sheep was the 10th of Nisan on Shabbos. And the nice was that the Egyptians worshipped the sheep. Not necessarily the animal, as has been spoken about previously. They worshipped the muzzle of the sheep, which is the first of the mazolus of the 12 zodiac symbols. And the physical sheep was a representation of the muzzle of the sheep, the muzzle of the lamb, which is the muzzle of Nisan. But nevertheless, since the Egyptians attached importance to the sheep, therefore the Jewish people would have been terrified of taking an animal that the Egyptians considered sacred with the intention that they wanted to shepherd. And the miracle? But nothing happened. The Egyptians didn't respond. They didn't attack the Jews. They didn't threaten them with anything. And because of this miracle, until today, the Shabbos before Pesach is called Shabbos Akul. Now we need to ask two questions. Firstly, when a miracle happens, it's not for no reason. And therefore, why did HaKadosh Barucho orchestrate that the Jews would need to take the animal that the Egyptians considered sacred and, so to speak, flaunt it in front of the Egyptians, so to speak, when in a normal case, they would respond. They would retaliate, and here, making conditions that they didn't retaliate. Why was it necessary, so to speak, to make the miracle happen? That's the first point. The second point, Klai history has been star-studded with many miracles. And if that's the case, what made this miracle one that we need to remember? There were many miracles which happened in Klai history, which we know about, but we don't commemorate it's only those miracles which apply to us today also that we have to commemorate throughout time. We don't commemorate the other big event which happened on the 10th of Nisan. The day that the Jewish people crossed the Yarden and the miracle there was, was similar to the miracle of Chris Yamsuf that the waters parted and allowed the Jews to cross a dry land. There's no commemoration of that miracle. Even though it happened. It doesn't affect us today. And if that's the case, if we are meant to remember the miracle of the taking of the sheep every year in Pesach, it must be that there's a significance in this miracle for us too. The second reason that's brought in before Shim, why this week is called Shabbos HaGadol, is because of the special Haftarah we read, the last words of the Prophet Malachi. And the Navi finishes off depicting, foretelling, The coming of Eliyahu, he says, Eliyahu HaNovi will come before the day of Hashem, which is called HaGadol v'Hanoirah. And because of that, the Shabbos is called Shabbos HaGadol. And once again, in his explanation, the Yom Hashem HaGadol is maybe the day of judgment, the day of revelation, it's given a number of titles. Even in the very possible where it's brought. It's not just a Yom HaGadol, it's Yom HaGadol We don't call this week Shabbos HaGadol There are many, many Haftoros throughout the year describing and foretelling the coming of Mashiach. And we don't use the terminology which is applying to that as this, this describing the name of the Shabbos because of it. So what's significant about the words of Malachi which we read, which is enough of a reason to lend itself to be given the name of the Shabbos to Shabbos HaGadol. So, to answer both of these questions and understand the significance of Shabbos HaGadol before Pesach, I'd like to start with a principle. And the principle is Something which is based in terror, as we will see, but something which has been adapted, so to speak, and incorporated into a common psychology. And that principle is that if a person has a fear of something, a person is afraid, then the the thing that he is afraid of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy it prevents a person from getting past it. It prevents him from going beyond what he's afraid of. It becomes something which is insurmountable. And until the person is able to overcome that fear, so it limits him in what he can do. Even in a khinukh sense. On a simple level. Very often, a child is scared. At night of a noise of something which looks ominous on the wall. Fear is a real emotion but it's only when a person can confront it and go up and see what it is that makes that shadow on the wall and then they'll see there's nothing there. It was just a reflection in the dark of some piece of furniture on the wall. And what was the noise which sounded so terrifying? Go confront it. See what the source of the noise is and then you can see it. There's nothing there which is the source of fear. And maybe that's on a child's level but the same principle applies throughout. The sense of fear limits a person. Inhibits his ability to grow. And it's only when a person is able to confront that and get past it then they'll see there was nothing there to be afraid of. And now on a deeper level. Klai Yishol were in goddess in Mitzrayim. Klai Yishol were enslaved. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu had set everything in motion to bring them out. To redeem them. But there was one point Klai Yishol needed to do. And that was from their point of view. They had to break the hold Mitzrayim had over them. They had to overcome the fear they had of the Mitzrayim. Being slaves, being the victims, being the subjects of power for so many hundreds of years, had instilled a fear of the Mitzrayim in them. They accepted Mitzrayim out of terror as their overlords. And in order for them to, be, to come out of Mitzrayim, so they had to take one step. They had to break in themselves the hold Mitzrayim had over them. And they had to be able to confront Mitzrayim and not be afraid. And then the good look could happen. And therefore, the instruction Baruch the one Mitzvah he gave them before He redeemed them from Mitzrayim, the after all the miracles He had done, and just before the Pesach. When Hashem was plan to redeem them from the Mitzrayim, the wild Mitzvahs given to the Jewish people, you have to break the whole Mitzrayim has over you. You have to be able to stand up to the Mitzrayim, confront them, take the animal that they consider to be something divine, take the sheep, take it in front of them, show you're going to bring it as a sacrifice. And what's the consequence going to be? How are the Mithrims going to terrorize us? How are they going to react? You'll see that they're going to do nothing. But by being able to confront that fear and overcome it, in reality, it gives Klayishro the ability to break the shackles that Mithrim has psychologically on him. The fear that they had of Pari, the submissiveness to his Taskmasters that had to come from Klaishra. The ability to break that hold, and then it was possible for them to go free. And if we understand this principle, then I'd like to show you that in every single goddess the same thing repeated itself. Even when Akkodesh Baruch Hu wanted to take us out, even when the time for Gaul was ripe, it needed from Klaishral's point of view. that they would break the hold of goddess They wouldn't be intimidated and in accepting of the power of whatever religion, nationality, country was subjugating them. And then thereafter the look could happen. Let's look at Babel. Babel, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was one of the few people who ruled the world. The Gemara gives three or four people who had worldwide dominion and one of them was Nebuchadnezzar. And don't think that Nebuchadnezzar was a benevolent despot. On the contrary. The reign of terror that Nebuchadnezzar imposed on people was unparalleled. How do I know that? The Gemara tells us in Shabbos that when Nebuchadnezzar was, after he died, was sent to Gehenna all the other people in Gehinnom were terrified Nebuchadnezzar is coming as if they didn't have enough Tzara already in Gehidim. but the very idea that Nebuchadnezzar is coming as bad as Gehinnom could be that added an extra layer of fear such was the terror that everybody had from Nebuchadnezzar and this all powerful so to speak ruler of Nebuchadnezzar he built this tremendous monolith, the statue of himself. And he brings people from the, all four corners of his vast empire to bow down to it. And had the Jewish people all bowed down as well, then we would have destroyed the possibility of being saved. We would have accepted the Nebuchadnezzar's authority over us. It was only when three men, Chananiah, Mishael, and Azaria, were able to stand up to Nebuchadnezzar confront him, refuse to bow. So then, somebody who had broken the hold of Babel, that enabled the Goda to happen. The Apostle says, it's brought in the Gemara even when they're in the land of their enemies, Hashem says, I won't despise them. I won't despise him, I won't despise him at the time of Nebuchadnezzar because they have Hanani Mishal of Azariah. And the same thing repeats itself in the time of Purim, during the time of the Persian Empire. Haman, the Prime Minister, also extremely powerful. And everybody bows down to him. And if everybody would bow down to him, then there wouldn't be the possibility of being saved from him. Because we, Klai Yisrael, would have accepted him as an authority we have to bow to. And where does the Ula come from? The one person who can confront Haman. And the one person who doesn't bow down. The Mordechai who stands at the king's gate and doesn't move. He can confront Haman. And if that's because he can be used as the agent of the Geula. Through Molochah came the redemption from Homer. And the same thing repeats itself again in the time of the Yavanim. The Yavanim, the Greeks who ruled Eretz Israel, introduced the reign of terror. People who kept mitzvahs were put to death. And the few remaining faithful Jews, they ran to hide in the caves. They camped out in the deserts to avoid the persecution of the Greeks. And when did the Gola come? Only when a few Kainim, Matisio and his sons, could overcome the fear of Greece. Could rise up against them. Could be resolute. Could show they weren't intimidated by the vast armies of Antiochus. And then they could be used as the agents for the Gola. So we've seen the same concept what we learn from its time repeat itself in every goddess. The time for the God God could be here. But what's required from Klay Yisrael is you have to show you're not a slave. You have to be willing to confront, to defy the power of the oppressor and then that gives one the koyach, so to speak, to overcome them. What about the goddess we're in now? so we know we have a principle in Torah, the life of the Ovos, that became the template against which the future events will happen to their children. And let's look what the Apostle tells us, how it describes the meeting between Yaakov and Esau. When Esau hears that Yaakov is returning from Haran, he comes and marches to meet him with four hundred generals, an army to attack Yaakov. And Yaakov's reaction, hearing that Esav is coming to attack him, the pasuk tells us, "Va'yira Yaakov mo'ed." Not just that Yaakov was afraid; Yaakov was terribly afraid. And what does he plan to do? He plans to separate his camp into two because if Esau will attack the one, at least the other one will go free. They'll escape. And we see, that's not what happens. When Esau meets Yaakov, so the Pasuk says that Yaakov ran and bowed down to him, and the Shmachas, Bila and Zilpah and their children bowed down, and Leah and her children bowed down, And Yosef and Rachel. They were all there. They all met Esau. Who was the second camp? And the answer the Mavashim explained. And something changed. Between the day before when Yaakov heard the news. That Esau was on his way to attack him. And the following day when they actually met. The night in between. Yaakov meets the Malach of Esau. And why was that necessary? Why was that confrontation necessary at specifically that point? And this is the answer. Because had Yaakov met Esau when he was so afraid of Esau then in a way Yaakov was accepting Esau's dominion. And Hashem orchestrated it that Yaakov would meet the Malach of Esau first and overcome him. And then Yaakov understood that once he's overcome the Malach of Esau, there's nothing to be afraid of. And therefore he can confront Esav without fear. And therefore he understands Mirosh. There's no reason anymore to separate my camp. He's confident that he can confront Esav too. And that's important, because that way, when he meets Esav, he doesn't give of authority over him. Now let's look at this on a deeper level. The Ramchal explains that in the shirish, in the Shurish, the the fact that a person is afraid of something is really a lack of bittachon. And as much as a person knows that HaKadosh Baruch is Kol Yachal is all-powerful and nothing else can do anything against his then there's nothing to be afraid of. Fear of someone or something else at some deep level stems from a lack of Bitachal. There's what to be afraid of. And therefore in order to enable the Godot to happen, in order to be redeemed, when Hashem wants to redeem us, we have to be able to show that we have to be able to show that we rely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu and that's stronger than the fear we have for whatever the oppressor may be. Because otherwise, if we show we're too afraid of the Paro, of the Navikadnetzar, of the Haman, of the Greeks. Then it's something missing in our own bitachim, in our own clarity of the fact that Hashem can save us from them. This is similar to what Baruch Hu tells Yem and Novi right at the beginning of his prophecy. He yes, said, I'm going to set you up and you're going to give harsh messages to the king, to the leaders, to the corrupt people. And Hashem tells Yemel, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them unless I make you afraid of them. If I know is going to show fear, then you'll have what to be afraid of. But if Yerim is going with the confidence born of Vitachan, that Hashem is sending me as a messenger and no harm will befall me, then nothing will happen to him. Now let's look at the words of the Prophet Malachi. But a few psuking back. And Malachi is describing the door. He's describing the generation at the time. And he says, what was the common philosophy of the time? What were people saying? Amaratim To the time when people were saying there's no benefits to serving Hashem. Umar is what do we have to gain from keeping the mitzvahs? Not only that, we praise people who do bad. The ones who the sinners are successful. They so to speak go with Hashem and they got away with it. So the providence mindset of the time, the way people are thinking is we can do what we want. There's no benefits and there's no f- compulsion to serve Hashem. And against that backdrop, that philosophy, that worldview, the Pasuk then says, Oz Hashem Then we have two people. Two remaining Yirei Hashem, people who fear Hashem. And they speak to each other. And they encourage each other to maintain their level of Yirei Not to give in to the prevalent philosophy. And the result, He pays attention to them. And in the following pasuk, Those people are mine. The day that I'm going to bring the results, they're mine. Who's going to be saved when Moshiach comes? Who's guaranteed that they're going to be protected? The ones who are not intimidated by the philosophy of the time of Moshiach, by the lack of importance of Torah, which the world believes in, by a lack of values which the world holds of, by the meaninglessness which prevails in society, those who say that there is no benefit to serving Hashem, who are the ones who are guaranteed to be saved from that? Those who are not afraid to stand up and be different. The Yirei Hashem who will still encourage each other to do the right thing. And that's how the Novi concludes. Those are the people that Eliyot Novi is coming to save. Before the day of Hashem's retribution comes. And this is the site. The nays of Shabbos Godel, Was that they were able to confront the Mitzri. Stand up to them. Capture the sheep and bring it into their homes. And they saw that nothing happened. And this wasn't just a lesson for them. This was a lesson for all time. Before the Ga'oulah can come, before they can be people can be redeemed. The step which is up to them is they have to break the hold of their own fear, of their own submissiveness to the whoever the oppressor may be. Shabbos HaGadol has to come before Pesach. Klai will had to break the hold of Mitzrayim before the Gola could happen. It was the only thing demanded from them. Everything else HaKadosh Baruch Hu And the same thing will play itself out again in every single Gola. Including the goddess we are in now. The time for Gola can be here. The conditions can go up to Hashem. But what's up to us, what's up to us, is to be the Yirei Hashem who speak to each other, mechazik each other, not to be intimidated, not to be scared of the prevalent philosophy of the time that Malachi is describing. Because it's only when we're willing to confront the power that subjugates us. And we have the talking to show we're not afraid we don't accept its dominion, its overlordship, then we also are ready to be saved. And that's the connection of Shabbos HaGadah. The nes that happened with Klausel did it the first time, which connects us to the preparation which is needed before the final ge'ulah, when the same thing will have to happen again.